What's up, y'all? Welcome back to another episode of Built with Beck, your health and fitness podcast. This is your host, Rebecca Lanier, and we are going to spend this episode chit-chatting all things sleep. So you might have gotten that from the title, Don't Sleep on Sleep, but sleep is something that I have my one-on-one nutrition and fitness coaching clients monitor consistently. They're asked about sleep from the moment they sign up through every single weekly check-in. So in their intake form, when we get them signed up and started, they're asked about their typical quantity of sleep as well as their quality of sleep, bedtime routines, the whole shebang. Then each day, they're keeping track of how many hours of sleep they got each night. We're looking at those weekly averages. And each week in their check-in forms with me, they're asked to rate the quality of their sleep on a scale of one to five. So that might seem kind of excessive if you've gone through your whole life never really thinking about your sleep quality, but sleep is something we take super seriously because it directly impacts all other areas of our lives. So in this episode, we're going to talk all things sleep. We're going to talk about why sleep matters, the role it plays specifically in your health and fitness goals, and then lastly, some strategies for optimizing your own sleep hygiene. So first up, why does sleep matter? Why do I track my sleep? Why do I have my clients track their sleep? We're gonna start with a little disclaimer, as always. Just because you can do something or just because you do something does not mean you should do it or that it is optimal. So this is for all of my, I run best on five hours of sleep people. I know I might be making some people upset here, and sure, you might be able to get five hours of sleep and be perfectly productive in your day-to-day life. You might be able to get four or five hours of sleep a night, wake up, complete your daily tasks for the next day, and you might even feel perfectly fine. But let's set the record straight first things first. Thriving is very different from surviving. And again, just because you can do something does not mean that it is optimal. All right, running on no sleep is not a testament to your work ethic. It's not a testament to your natural energy. All right, running on no sleep is not a quirky personality trait. So we're going to look at some general sleep recommendations. The age demographic that's encouraged to get the most sleep, and I feel like this is pretty common knowledge, but it's teenagers, ages 13 to 18. This is, I feel like, generally understood and generally accepted because these are growing years. However, Even for older populations, the littlest amount of sleep that is recommended is seven hours a night. Now, note here that the hours of sleep recommended does not have to do with your biological sex, your body type, your profession, your personality type, your work ethic, any of it. Your body is a body and bodies need sleep. Now, are you going to die if you don't get seven hours of sleep? Is one night of three or four hours of sleep going to like kill you or take years off your life? No, obviously not. But will your performance, your recovery, your mental clarity, and other non-essential body functions be optimized if you routinely get five or six hours of sleep? No. So with that understanding, let's go ahead and look at why sleep matters. Sleep obviously impacts our energy for the next day, right? So in turn, that's going to affect the amount of energy that we can pour into our jobs, into our families, into our relationships, into ourselves. But sleep isn't just about energizing us for the next day, because if it was, that's what caffeine is for, right? Oh, maybe I got five hours of sleep, but I'll have my cup of coffee and I'll be good for the afternoon. But there's actually a number of other physiological benefits of sleep 
such as mental clarity or improved memory. It has been shown that your memory will be better if you routinely get consistent sleep than if you are chronically compromising your sleep quality and quantity. Sleep is also associated with an improved mood, improved heart health. Sleep actually strengthens certain functions in your immune system. Sleep is associated with benefits to insulin sensitivity. It decreases inflammation and it decreases stress. This is true for both physical stress and perceived stress, so like emotional or mental stress. But one of the biggest things is sleep directly impacts hormone regulation in your body. So this is going to transition us into a little bit more of like the meat of the podcast, talking about how sleep affects your health and fitness journey, because sleep does directly impact your body's hormone production and regulation. And the reason this matters is because we're going to talk about two hormones in particular that relate to hunger. So let's look a bit at how sleep affects your fitness journey. Generally speaking, the vast majority of the population with fitness goals will have goals that entail gaining muscle and or losing body fat. Guess what? Sleep affects both. So let's take a look. First up, sleep affects muscle growth. So did you know? Now, some of this you might already know if you've listened to other podcast episodes, specifically, I believe it was the second episode I put out on So You Want to Start a Fitness Journey. We talked a bit about recovery there and, um, you know, what it takes to build muscle tissue and things of that nature. But for this segment of this podcast episode, we're going to touch specifically on sleep as it relates to muscle growth and sleep as it relates to fat loss. So like I was mentioning, did you know that you're not actually building muscle during your workouts? In fact, you are actually damaging your muscle tissue during your training sessions. So what happens is during your training, you're actually causing micro tears in your muscles. You're damaging your muscle. So through our training session, we're putting our bodies through this like grueling workout. We're damaging our muscles. And the idea is our body says, oh, that was really hard and I wasn't exactly strong enough for that. Let me repair and strengthen these muscles so that I can adapt in case I face that stressor, right, or that training session again. So given proper hydration, food, and recovery time, your body is going to use that hydration, food, and recovery time to adapt and strengthen those muscles and get stronger for the next stressor or the next training session. So you can probably see where this is going. If all you're doing is training, 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 and skipping out or compromising your sleep, you are one, waiting for an injury, it's bound to happen, and two, leaving gains on the table. You will not be making the progress that you could otherwise be making if you had adequate recovery. And again, this doesn't just boil down to energy. I'm not saying, oh, if you compromise sleep, you won't be able to put in as much effort for your training sessions, which means you're probably not pushing yourself enough. Like, yes, that is true. But aside from the energy standpoint, your body physically will not be able to recover as well and prepare for that next training session if you're consistently compromising sleep. And without getting too off track, that's also why rest days are imperative. You are not making more gains by skipping recovery to add more training, okay? Decreasing recovery is a surefire way to burn out, to injure yourself, and like I mentioned, to just leave gains on the table. You need sleep to make progress. You need rest to make progress. But sleep doesn't just affect muscle growth. Sleep also impacts fat loss. 
And this is something that I thought was fascinating to learn about when I was first dipping my toes in nutrition courses and certifications and things of that nature. This is also something I really love to work on with clients. This is something that um, most of my clients learn pretty early on just because it's so common to compromise sleep quality consistently. So let's talk a little bit about how sleep affects fat loss efforts. So if we disrupt sleep or we disrupt our circadian rhythm, it can actually have some pretty important metabolic implications, right? Impacting our metabolism. One of the most apparent ways that sleep impacts fat loss is by disrupting hunger hormones. And I said this is one of the most apparent ways with intention. The reason I said apparent is because this is a really obvious and apparent side effect of compromised sleep that I can notice immediately. If I have a day where I go and I maybe get like five hours of sleep, I can notice this effect from compromised sleep like very easily, very apparently throughout the next day. So here's your little science lesson for the day on how sleep affects your hunger hormones. So hunger isn't just your body's response to an empty stomach, and it's not just about willpower or self-control. Now, yes, hunger does essentially boil down to having a lack of food or a lack of energy in your body, right? But the state of your hunger, the state of your food or energy is communicated to your brain by hormones. So we have two, they're nicknamed like the hunger hormones. There's two of them. The first one is actually the hunger hormone and it's called ghrelin. Think of it like when you're hungry, your stomach is ghrelin. You know what I mean? (laughs) And then the other hunger hormone is the fullness hormone, leptin. So you've got ghrelin and you've got leptin. These are the two hormones that are responsible for stimulating hunger and then responding to hunger when we have eaten. So when we are hungry, our body produces ghrelin, right? So think about like your stomach ghrelin because you're hungry. When we're hungry, our body produces more of the hormone ghrelin. This lets your body know, hey, stomach is empty. We need food. You'll notice when ghrelin is increased that you have increased cravings, increased food focus. This is us seeking out food, okay? So our body is communicating to our brain. We do not have the energy we need. We need to seek out food. So then when we get food and when we eat, our body decreases that production of ghrelin and in return increases our production of leptin. So remember, leptin is our fullness or our satiety hormone. This signals to our brain, hey, I'm fed, I'm no longer hungry. You'll notice after a meal, right, like you're thinking less about food, you probably don't really have any cravings, you're focusing on other things, other tasks in your day. So this is how those hormones interact and how they function in the body when they are optimal. When there is no dysfunction, they have this like interdependent relationship. So when one goes up, the other goes down, they're constantly in flux, there's not really any problems here. But because these are hormones, there can be dysfunction in our body's ability to produce and regulate these hormones. So just like any other hormone in the body that can um, experience any kind of dysfunction, um, this is really common with sex hormones. So for a lot of women, if they experience extreme fat loss or chronic, chronic under eating, they might lose their period. That's an example of a hormone dysfunction as a result of lifestyle factors such as under eating or drastic fat loss. In the same way, these hunger hormones can become dysfunctional as well. So chronic or more long-term dysfunction and hunger hormones might look like 
never feeling hungry or feeling full really easily, even if you know you haven't eaten that much. So for example, I see this a lot in clients if maybe they're never hungry until like 1 or 2 p.m., they have like an apple or a small snack and they're full so they don't want to eat anymore. And it's just this ongoing cycle, right? Where they're like, oh, I'm never really hungry. But that's just one way you might experience dysfunction in your hunger hormones. The other is kind of the opposite, feeling like no matter how much you eat, you're never full. This is another demonstration or I guess another way in which you might experience or your symptoms might show dysfunction in your hunger hormones. So if you feel like you can sit down and eat a full meal and you're like, I could eat a whole other one, that might indicate to you, hmm, maybe there's something going on here with my hunger hormones. Now, there's a few different things that can cause dysfunction in hunger hormones long-term, right? But in the short term, negative sleep directly impacts your body's production and regulation of both leptin and ghrelin. So we talked a little bit about longer-term dysfunction, right? Of like habitually patterns of never feeling hungry or feeling like no matter what you eat, you could always eat more. But on the short-term spectrum, if you have one night of super, super compromised sleep, the next day your body's production of leptin and of ghrelin is going to be thrown a bit out of whack. So when I said, oh, this is really apparent to me, like I know when I get like six or less hours of sleep, my hunger is so thrown off the next day. I feel like no matter what, I'm still hungry. I'm not feeling great. I might feel a little bit nauseated. The reason for this is because our body is trying to compensate from the lack of energy due to sleep deprivation by increasing your hunger throughout the day. So when we are sleep deprived, our body is aware that energy is low, right? Why? because our sleep is deprived. So to compensate from that lack of energy due to sleep deprivation, our body is going to signal to our brain, we need more food, we need more energy. So even if we've eaten, we are going to notice increased hunger throughout the day. So you can see why if you have fat loss goals, an elevated appetite, regardless of how much you've eaten, can most definitely get in the way of that. So for so many of my clients, we'll notice that when we regulate their sleep, when we get a handle or we start to manage their sleep behavior and their sleep hygiene, it's like the first of many dominoes that start to knock over, leading to more successful habit and behavior changes because sleep is foundational for all of your other health and fitness goals. But I'm not just going to leave you with all of the reasons you should care about sleep without giving you some practical takeaways. So let's look at some actionable strategies that you can implement to level up your sleep. First thing for optimizing your sleep, a large part of this is going to boil down to regulating your circadian rhythm. So circadian rhythm is your body's internal clock. It's also referred to as our sleep-wake cycle, typically runs on like a 24-ish hour cycle. So yes, things like Sleeping in a dark room or sleeping in a cold room can help you have good quality of sleep, but there's actually some other things we can do to focus first and foremost on regulating your circadian rhythm. So these are gonna be like our bigger block changes that can really help ensure your sleep quality and quantity is consistent. So first thing we can do in making sure that our circadian rhythm is regulated and optimized is to keep a regular wake time. So we can't always control when we fall asleep, but we can more often than not control when we wake up. So if you have, for example, like a relatively consistent sleep schedule, 
and then you've had to travel or adapt to a really significant time change, you might notice, oh my gosh, it is so hard to get out of my sleep cycle. You might also know, or maybe you don't, that one of the best ways to adjust to a new time zone is by setting a set wake time, regardless of your body clock. So if you're traveling and you're like, oh my gosh, it is midnight to me, but it is 7 a.m. in my new time zone, the best thing you can do to get a hold on you know, adjusting to the new time zone is by adopting a set wake time based on wherever you are. The reason for this is because our waking hours are like the start of our circadian rhythm for that day. So maintaining a consistent wake schedule can be huge for making sure that then our sleep schedule will follow in a regular rhythm. Another really big strategy we can use for regulating our circadian rhythm is by trying to get sunlight exposure early on in the day. Sunlight exposure early in the day is actually shown to regulate our circadian rhythm and almost like reset it. Um, but even just like 10 minutes of sun exposure in the morning can help regulate your circadian rhythm for the remainder of the day, which in turn will contribute to having better sleep that night. So if you can get outside for, I mean, just five to 10 minutes and get some sunlight on your body, that's going to be ideal for making sure that you're having optimal sleep that night. If you can't get outside for whatever reason, even just opening and sitting by a window, um, opening your blinds and letting some sunlight in, sunshine exposure is great for regulating your circadian rhythm. All right, now we're starting to get into some of the more like bedtime routine sleep hygiene tips. These are going to get less and less glamorous as they go on and less and less fun, but that does not mean that they're not important or that we shouldn't consider or try practicing them as well. So a big one that I personally really have to practice and that I encourage my clients to try as well is cutting out screen time before bed. So I know, especially with COVID and everybody being on their computers all the time and being work from home, blue light glasses are all the rage right now. And I know at least for myself, I was kind of skeptical about them at first, but the reason blue light matters so much and the reason why blue light glasses might be something you consider looking into is because blue light actually suppresses your body's production of melatonin. So what does this mean, right? Well, let's say you're trying to go to bed and you're like, oh, I can't sleep, so I'm gonna scroll on Instagram. And so you're scrolling on your phone because you can't sleep. But by scrolling on your phone, by exposing your eyes and your brain to all of that blue light, it is stopping or significantly slowing your body's production of melatonin. So you won't actually know or feel when you're getting sleepy because your body's not producing that melatonin. So by being on your phone at night, you are slowing or stopping your body's production of melatonin, which is obviously gonna impact when you fall asleep, how quickly you fall asleep, and how deep you sleep as well. So something I try and do for myself is I set a like a blue light kind of window, I guess you could say. 30 minutes before I want to be asleep, I put up my phone. So maybe you play like a little music with like a sleep timer. You can set a podcast with a sleep timer or white noise, whatever. But you don't want to be looking at a screen at least within 30 minutes of wanting to be asleep. So even if I'm not feeling tired at all, if I know I want to be asleep in 30 minutes, I'll put my phone away. Maybe I'll pick up a book, whatever it might be, but entertain yourself for 30 minutes without any kind of blue light. And that is one of the best things you can do for making sure that your body's still producing melatonin, regulating your sleep cycle, and ensuring that you're going to get the quality and quantity of sleep that you need. 
The next thing, and this might sound kind of self-explanatory, but you'd be surprised. Watch your caffeine intake. Some people are drinking caffeine upwards of like 4 and 5 p.m. and then getting surprised when their sleep quality is compromised. Y'all, caffeine is going to keep you stimulated even if you think, oh, well, I'm not hyper anymore. Like, I don't feel the caffeine. It is still keeping your heart rate elevated. It is still a stimulant and it is still in your system. So give yourself a caffeine cutoff time. I do not drink caffeine past 2 p.m. unless I'm like, okay, this is going to be a really late night. Then maybe, you know, maybe like 3 p.m. But the caffeine will still be in your system whether or not you feel it. So anything like uh, obviously coffee, right? Um, But even things like lots of diet sodas have caffeine. Um, Any kind of caffeinated tea, all of those things need to be watched and give yourself a window after which you stop drinking caffeinated beverages. Another thing, and here we go, I'm starting to get less and less glamorous, but watch your alcohol intake. So many people think that because a glass of wine makes you sleepy, it helps you sleep, right? Um, or the really common like, oh, I drink a glass of wine because it helps me sleep at night. Wrong. It doesn't. It might help you fall asleep at night, but it actually disrupts your deep sleep. So what alcohol does is it's going to make you tired at first. So you might fall asleep quickly, right? But it compromises your deep sleep. So more often than not, it's going to cause you to either wake up in the night or at least wake up before you're fully rested or even just not get enough deep sleep which contributes to having quality sleep. Another thing is just going to be establishing some kind of bedtime routine. That way, even on those evenings where maybe you're not as tired for some reason, maybe you had a long day, a stressful day, you're just not feeling relaxed, having a set bedtime routine where your body kind of knows, okay, we're winding down, it's time to calm down and time to get into sleep, having a bedtime routine can definitely help keep sleep schedules consistent. The last bit I want to touch on is related to pre-bed nutrition or pre-bed eating. So there's nothing wrong in terms of like fat loss goals or muscle building goals. There's nothing wrong with eating at night. Like that's totally fine. But insofar as sleep is concerned, if you eat too close to bed, you might notice that you're not sleeping well because your body is still digesting food. So I'll say for me at least, I do not like to go to bed after eating a really big meal. I prefer to eat like an earlier dinner and then just have like a dessert or a small little snack, um, maybe like an hour or two before I go to bed. So you don't want anything too big that was that's going to take forever to digest, but you also don't want too imbalanced of a meal. So this is where if you are a macro tracker, you might understand, you know, oh, carbs digest really quickly, fat digests really slowly. So understanding those things, we can kind of manipulate what that pre-bed meal or snack is in favor of your digestion. But for me, at least, I like to, and I encourage clients to have a snack that's a little bit of protein, a little bit of carbs, and some minimal fat just so it's not digesting super long into the night. So in sum, I know this is something I've said time and time again, but health and fitness goals are so much more than what you eat and how you move. Don't sleep on sleep, people. Your body needs rest. Your body needs recovery. 
As I mentioned in the intro, sleep hygiene is something that a number of my clients work on through one-on-one coaching. Um, For most, tackling some of these bigger lifestyle factors like sleep quality can be that first domino that sets a chain reaction off of other behavior shifts. So if you feel like your sleep quality or your sleep quantity is getting in the way of your health and fitness goals, I hope you use these takeaways in your own life and see how they're going to work for you. As always, my Instagram and my email are linked in the show notes. So if you've got questions or comments or feedback, I would love to hear from you. But that's all we've got for this week. So thank you for tuning in and I will talk to you next time.